0: This episode is about stone number 12, part one. Remember the stones are my way of saying the things that need to be removed based on Isaiah 62, 10 in preparation for Jesus's return. And so stone number 12 is going to deal with leaders. I could have put leaders first, but because after all, they aren't leaders but I believed, I believed it was best to lead them to the very end, even though this is a very significant stone, as all of them are, but this is certainly a big one. So I want to start with an example. I was at the gym one day. It was a cardio day for me, so I was on a stair stepper. And at the particular uh, gym I was uh, a member of at that time, there was a bank of about 10 uh, TV screens at the front of all the cardio machines and each TV screen was numbered. And there was a little box on each of the cardio machines that you could dial to the number of the TV you wanted to listen to plug in your earbuds and you could hear it. So I had done that. And uh, as I was moving along with my stair stepper exercise, um, uh, I kept my attention kept being drawn to the TV next to mine, next to the one I was listening to because there was something going on there that it just looked familiar, but I couldn't quite place what it was. What I could see was that there was a, a young man, maybe late twenties, early thirties, and he seemed to be talking. Cause again, I can't, I'm not tuned to that one. So I can't hear it. I can just see it. He's talking to an audience and at, at times the camera would focus on, I guess, the person in the audience he was talking to and the look on their face, very surprised and kind of emotional and that sort of thing. And then it would kind of go back to him and back and forth. It would sort of go. And uh, finally, I just got really curious about this. And so I, I tripped over to that one so I could hear what was going on. And to my surprise, what this guy was doing was he was, calling people out in the audience and he was giving them like words of knowledge and uh, evidently he was he, based on the response of the person he was speaking to he was having some sort of accuracy like like it was really something and then it stopped and it went to commercials so obviously not a Christian station so I waited through the commercial to see what in the world this was so when it, the commercials finished, and it came back to the program. It was the Ellen DeGeneres show. The showman was a psychic, and so as she explains, you know what you just saw happened like five or six months ago, and now she's interviewing several months later. Obviously, many of the people he had called out in the audience and had words for, and of course she wants to know, you know, was he how accurate was he, and was this important, and all that kind of thing. And each person she's interviewing, they're giving glowing testimony. Oh, he was so accurate. And he knew this and he knew that. And, and it changed my life. You know, like I used to see years ago with Paul Kane or Bob Jones or some of these other guys. It was, it was just unbelievable in a way. But he was a psychic. Now, I'm not concerned about psychics people outside the church that have anointing or have power. Those don't bother me, and they didn't really seem to bother Jesus or, the, or Paul or Peter or John. But all of those guys did warn us about such people inside the church that seem to have an anointing, but it's not from the Lord. That's more dangerous. Those are the people he was warning us to watch out for. To be careful. Every one of them had warnings about this. Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, Jude, being very discerning, very cautious about such, quote, leaders, if you will, prophets, teachers, that kind of thing. You see, all grocery stores sell food. And yet, as we all know, not much of what is sold is healthy for us what with all the additives, preservatives, fructose, bad oils, processing, etc. I know a person who uh, was a nutritionist for some 40 years with a school district, and she told me one time, if there are more than two lines of ingredients, put it back on the shelf. I would give some similar advice concerning the food, quotation marks, that most Christian leaders are providing. For example... If the, the person's photo is on the front cover of their book, or if the person has titles before his or her name and or letters following their name, or if the person's a popular person of some mega ministry, or if the person openly lives the American dream lifestyle, or if there's a lot of fanfare and advertising about the person, or if the person is making money from the sale of his or her materials, stay away from him or her as if they have the Black Plague AIDS and COVID combined. For spiritually, they do. Evan Roberts was the young man in Wales that the Lord used to ignite the Welsh revival. Story is told that he was coming into a, a community where he'd been invited to preach, and as he got to the outskirts, there was a big billboard announcing him. Evan Roberts, man of God, anointed by the Spirit, something like that. He turned around and left. Of course, this is way before quick communication, so it took several days for them to find out why he never showed up. And his answer was, I am not the point. Don't advertise me. If you're advertising me, I'm not showing up. He used to actually show up to some meetings, and he would be sort of incognito at the back of the room, and he'd wait to see what the people were doing. Before, if he felt like it was okay, then he would step up. If there's a lot of fanfare about him, he left because it wasn't about him. There's probably more issues to consider than the few I just mentioned, like titles, even though Jesus said in matthew twenty three not to use titles, like doctor, pastor, reverend, you know stuff like that. when when uh, deciding about whether or not to listen to a particular leader, such as they're fantastically popular or especially handsome and beautiful, or they're using advertising techniques, or does their preaching have more in common with the American dream than with the Word of God? I heard a guy on YouTube, very, pretty well known, he was bragging that he loved to talk about the blessed lifestyle. I'm pretty sure he did not mean blessed of the poor in spirit. I think he meant blessed in the sense of American dream. Since one of the issues Jesus addressed in the shaking dream, that I shared very early on in one of the early episodes, I've had concerns about leaders. Here is how to measure and to discern whether a person is a true godly leader or not. And I'm going to use the Apostle Paul here just a moment. But let's begin with Jesus. Matthew 7. Watch out for false prophets, leaders, teachers. You can plug in any one of those. They come to you in sheep's clothing. So in other words, they look like they might be Christians. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears there, bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce, I'm sorry, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, and I should clarify here, he's about to clarify what he means by fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Most will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, if we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you doers of evil. You see, many people misunderstand Jesus' use of the metaphor of fruit thinking he means the person's effectiveness or their anointing or the success of their ministry. This is incorrect. It's not true. The metaphor of a tree is a reference to the person's life, the way they live, and especially their character. See Psalm 1. Thus the fruit, quote, the person produces is not about his or her ministry. The fruit, is the way he or she lives. Again, especially his or her character. Paul picks up this metaphor, (laughs) excuse me, when he explains the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. One comes from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the other from the tree of life. So again, the fruit Jesus is talking about, and thus what we are to judge or discern, is the person's Christ-like character, not the supposed success of their ministry. Remember, success by Jesus' standards is the opposite of the world's. The way up in the kingdom is down. So when you're a big-name person and you're having a healing conference, but you flew there in your own personal jet, you got a problem. I'm not listening to that guy. And I don't care how many false miracles he produces, I'm not going to follow him or listen to him. His character, his lifestyle disqualifies him. And that's how it should be. We're not to be impressed with what appears to be healings and and deliverances and all that kind of stuff. If their character is not in line with what Jesus wants. A fasted, simple lifestyle. That's what matters. That's the fruit we're look at. In fact, Jesus, or James, actually, in James three one, he says, not many of you should presume to be teachers or again leaders or prophetic, because you know that we who teach, lead, or prophesy will be judged more strictly. Seems like people in this country don't think that applies to them. They can live a very worldly lifestyle and yet, and have what seems to be a very big ministry and think that's okay. It is not. For Jesus and the apostles, one of the major, major measurements of a godly leader has to do with suffering and lowliness, not seminary degrees or PhDs or personality or leadership or administrative abilities or any of the American versions of success. Here's what Paul says about himself that he says qualifies him to be a leader. This is in 1 Corinthians. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it is with me. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus, and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul says he did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, he says he knew nothing but Jesus crucified. He says he ministered in weakness and great fear of the Lord, in trembling. His preaching was not with wise and persuasive words. He focused on having demonstrations of the Spirit's power. And he did all this so that at the end of the day, the people knew that whatever good may have happened, it was not because of Paul and his human abilities, but rather because of the living God who was working powerfully among them. In short, if there was going to be any boasting, to be boasting in the actions of the Almighty, not drawing attention to Himself. But that's what the super apostles did. Biblically, as opposed to American thinking, as I've said before many times, the way up in Jesus' kingdom is down. And a godly leader is to exemplify this. John the Baptist said it like this The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Well, that's an interesting comment. Evidently, a lot of leaders in this country seem to have forgotten that. That that church, that congregation is not theirs. Those people belong to Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. As long as the church's leaders in this country can do it without the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit won't do anything. The days in which he allowed for some Ishmael stuff are over. True godly leaders must be people who become less and not more. Losers and not winners. Poor in spirit and not superstars. Persecuted and not glorified. These are non-negotiables. Because as long as the leader has, gone, uh, has not gone down, Jesus cannot, as in being unable, go up. Only one person can be on top. Either the leader for Jesus. One of the issues in the church in this country are leaders who are building their little kingdoms while claiming they're building Jesus' kingdom. Remember the shaking dream again? That was one of the scenes that the Lord showed me. It was all these ministries competing with each other. Jesus does not need help doing what he wants to do. He does enjoy doing things with those who will follow him and do it his way but he's not dependent on on us. He can make his own church services with rocks worshiping him and donkeys preaching. I'll restrain a sarcastic comment about what comes from most pulpits these days. When Paul defended his ministry before the Christians in Corinth in his second letter to to them, he contrasted himself with the super apostles. By the way, just think of that term super-apostles. Paul was mocking these guys. And yet, so many of the leaders in this country have much more in common with the super-apostles than with Paul. For example, Paul listed all of his failures as proof and evidence of his true calling and true anointing as a true apostle in 2 Corinthians. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, he wrote, and I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Jesus? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at in the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. (laughs) Boy, where are those leaders? The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows I am not lying. Paul continues with one of his most vivid defenses and stated differences between himself and the super apostles. This is in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that, but I'll not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited because of the incredible things the Lord had been showing him, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace, empowerment that is, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness so that Jesus' power may rest on me. That is why, for Jesus' sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong.
1: in your